monthly podcast focused on stories of grit and greatness from the streets to the suites. Grit is a forum for stories about people who possess uncommon work ethic, drive, and passion. They are movers, shakers, role models, overachievers who are under the radar. I'm your host, Margaret Trimmer, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for Delta Dental of Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. I have studied, cultivated, and curated grit over my 30-year career, including stints in the newspaper business, education, nonprofit management, and now corporate leadership. At Delta Dental, I direct corporate giving to build healthy, smart, vibrant communities for all, the places where people want to live, work, and play, places where true grit can be found. School's out for the summer, and parents, students, and educators can finally take a break. An entire school year learning under the cloud of COVID-19. It was disruptive. It was difficult. It was divisive. For Cindy Hill, an academic interventionist at Detroit's Ron Brown Academy, a school that Delta Dental has supported in many ways, it was a year to truly make a difference. A year that she was prepared for, not because of what she knows how to do, but because of who she is. Cindy, You've been working in education for five years. Making a difference in the lives of Detroit's children is what inspired you to leave good jobs in social services and retail and go into education in the first place. This year was a year to do just that, make a difference. Can you tell us what your job is and how different it was this year from last year when you first started this particular role? My job as an academic interventionist is to work with students in small groups and individually to help grow their skills in math or reading. The difference between working this year virtually and what happened when we were working face-to-face is I had to build relationships with students through technology, um, create an environment of comfortability with for them though they were facing maybe some technology issues because they weren't sure how to use the platform that we were using to um, get the education component to them. Uh, We also had to figure out a way to provide the structure that was needed for those students who may have been at home for school time while their parents had to work or while their parents were taking care of their younger siblings or maybe even tending to a a loved one who may have been ill in the home. So the actual goal of your particular job is what? You work with a certain segment of students to do what? To bring them up to grade level for their reading and writing. So you're already dealing with students who may have some challenges. Yes. And you're virtual. In comprehension, yes in comprehension and grasping the concept of what's being taught to them in the classroom. So what were some specific strategies that you employed to build structure, to build relationships? Were there some things that you that you did that were particularly creative? Yes, ma'am. I kind of had to establish a um, outside of work routine and schedule. Parents received information from me that had we been working regularly before the pandemic started, I would have never been given my phone number to parents to reach me, my personal phone number or uh, face making FaceTime calls or Google calls, Google dual calls with parents so that I could show them things or uh, explain to them the progress or the barriers that their students were making. Uh, we've done home visits. 
to go out to families after hours or um, on the weekends. I've had to have more self-disclosure to families to let them know that I too am a parent with a student in the district who's faced some of those challenges or share different resources with them. And we partner with everyone in the school. Like I spend more time with our counselor and social worker and previous teachers so that we could all overcome whatever obstacles we were facing with reaching these students and their families. What were some of the most extreme obstacles? Because let's face it, tracking down students in the the schools in good times is challenging, making sure that they're all on board. Finding them and keeping track of them in COVID times presented some huge hurdles. And not every school, not every educator was successful in keeping their kids tight. What did you what did you experience? What were some of the, the greatest hurdles? Well, initially at the beginning of the year, one of our biggest hurdles was being able to contact families because they may have had information on record that was not accurate. They may have moved or their phones may have changed. So our team started doing whatever we could to reach those students. And so if we had kids that were showing up, we would get the social media contact for the other students. And or we would send messages and ask students, well, share this on your social media and tell them they need to get in touch with Ms. Hill or they need to call. And I think that um, the most heart wrenching challenge was during a home visit uh, where we had visited a, one of our families it was a family of four and three of the students are still currently at Ronald Brown. But one of them, he's now in high school. And uh, we asked the question, what are some of the challenges that you all have faced during COVID? Or did you have any? Would you like to share them with us? And um, a fifth grade boy said, he looked at me and he said, Miss Hill, losing my dad. And I looked at his mom and his mom said, oh, yeah, his father died August the 20th. It just took something out of me because I was working with his brother every day who was a seventh grader and the brother had not mentioned it to me, but mom said that the fourth grader hadn't talked and wouldn't talk to anyone about it. And that was the first thing he told me when he saw me. So it just, you know, it did something to me because mom has had health issues and I've been at the school for five years. And every time we had an issue or a conference with one of the boys, it was dad. Who had come. So this was a parent that I was used to seeing, used to having conversations with, being in contact with, and our family had suffered a loss that we weren't aware of. And though we have been doing everything that we can to reach out to our students or to stay connected to them or build relationships with new students or students who we didn't know before they were assigned to us that year, it just seems like it, it's not never enough that we could do to be there. Well, and I'm sure you've discovered the power and the necessity of trust in your work. And people are sending their most important humans to you, their children. Um, What does it take to earn the trust of parents in the school community? And what difference did having that level of trust do to give you uh, an advantage in getting the job done? Hmm. I think what builds that level of trust with parents 
and families is to just be honest from the, the beginning. We have to be honest. We have to be willing to listen and understand what our parents and families are facing and listen to them. We have to listen to hear what they're saying instead of being the expert and the pro because we're the educator. We need to see what is it that we need to come up with or what plan do we need to put in place? Not so much as a compromise, but an individualized success plan for every situation because there are some students who need a stronger voice to help them stay on task. But then there are some where the stronger voice may break their spirit and that's not what they need. And they may need a different approach. And so you get to know families and learn families. And we have to help families understand and know that we're human too. And sometimes we do make mistakes. And together, the one thing that we all have in common should be that we want the child to be successful. We want the student to be successful. And so whatever we have to do, we have to do our part to hold a child accountable for doing their part. It's really powerful. And it really does take hard work and some self-revelations. Um, you have to share pieces of yourself and mm -hmm. be vulnerable, maybe, in the yes. process. Yes, absolutely. That's a, um, I think that's a superpower to be able to be vulnerable because everybody wants to be the pro or we're afraid to let someone know what we don't know or what we don't understand or what we're not capable of doing. I'm big on going to partner with the ones I've seen be successful in something. And even the people who haven't been successful, you can learn from them as well because you're like, oh yeah, that kind of didn't work. I, I don't think that I want to try this approach with that family. Yeah. But being honest with them at all times, I it has been a win-win situation when you're honest. It, I mean, whatever it is, just be honest with your families and say, this is what the issue is. This is what I, you know, let's come up with a plan for how we can resolve it because this is the goal that we're all trying to meet. In a previous life, I founded and ran University Prep Science and Math schools where I actually got to know your principal, Mr. Pitt. Um, I ran them for almost a decade here in Detroit. And one thing I believe deeply, and I know you do too, is that opportunity is not equally available to all of our children. You talked about it in terms of some kids are just not set up for success. What do you mean by that? And what do you do to try to fix that problem for your students? Okay, some students are not set up for success because they are not in an environment where education is valued. And I think that for those of us who know the value of education, we have to erase the dark cloud that's over their head to help them see that there is some light on the other side of that. It can be from sharing situations that we've been in as students because I came from an environment, I was the first college graduate in my family, but it was because of educators that were there and surrounding me that exposed me to things or shared other things to me that I knew that there was a different way of life. And they also taught me to uh, have humility, not to ever forget where I come from. And so that's how I feel when I'm with our students, like, you came into this situation, into this situation, perhaps with some challenges and barriers, but 
we're going to take obstacles and turn them into opportunities. Just, I, I just feel like uh, I have to work more than the time that I get off. I get off at 2.40. That doesn't mean I have to stop working for my students. I may not start work until 7.30, but sometimes my families need me before then because mom needs to talk or share something with me that was going on with the student before she went to work. And she's at a job where she can't take phone calls or she only gets 30 minutes for lunch. And by the time she stands in line to get lunch, wherever she's having lunch, she can't talk or or she's calling when I'm in class or with a group of students. So I just feel like we have to let students know they don't have to, that doesn't have to be their end, that they didn't come from what people call a two family structured uh, home because they can still be successful being raised by their cousin, their grandfather, their step parent. I've seen it all or their neighbor, whomever has custody of them. That doesn't mean that you just have to go to school because we're making you go to school, go to school with a focus. Like we're getting an education for a reason. We're not just getting an education because it's the law. We're getting an education so that we can go out into the world and be leaders and help others because we used to be that 10, 11, and 12-year-old little girl. What's the thing that you need most from parents and caregivers to ensure a child's success? Because I think sometimes parents get and caregivers get intimidated by the the school and even walking in the door, right? For some parents and caregivers who didn't have a good experience, that's a that's a heart palpitation moment, right? Um, what are the things that the very simple things that you need most from those who are caregiving for children? I need them to be consistent in what happens in a child's life. I need them to partner with us as a community of educators and be honest with us about what their barriers or challenges may be academically that prevents them from supporting or helping their students. And I need for caregivers and parents to understand that the onus is not just on the educator, it is on all of us. And so if we provide the materials and the resources and they have to have an expectation of us as educators. Don't let us off the hook. If we're not doing what we're supposed to do, hold us accountable, but in a respectful manner. There's, you know, as long as we have some decorum about how we're approaching the situation, but we are all held accountable to someone and we just have to be honest full circle. I need families to say to me, Miss Hill, I didn't pass, I didn't go past the seventh grade. That's why I can't help Susie with her math. I need some help, or are there some resources? Hey, mom, I believe in literacy. And here are some other resources that the district is offering through our parent academy that may be able to help you even further your education because we have to stop the cycle. Well, we have to let go of shame too because shame prevents a whole lot of truth telling, right? It starts with us. We have to create that. We have to create that for them to feel comfortable. You know, I love it when parents get to see us dressed down. I love it when I run into a parent in a store and they see me with my daughter or with my nephew or with some other girls that I may mentor because they get to see us out of the realm of being an educator. I see people look at teachers like we're superheroes and we are, but we're human. So when we take that cape off, there's a teacher that we need to talk to to help, (laughs) to help us. They look to you as superheroes, but there's also that notion that teachers and educators get a bad rap also. And 
they get blamed for as much as they get credited for. And Absolutely. oftentimes that's a pretty demoralizing way to to go to work, right? When it the is. burden of everything is on your shoulders and the blame of everything is on your shoulders. How do you how do you navigate that? And how do you push back if there are those who say, Oh, you teach because you can't do, or teachers make too much money, only work nine months a year. There's all of that. I used to be communications director for the teachers union. And so my job was to defend against all of that. And it continues. So how, how do you push back? Hmm. I think that the proof is in the pudding. And the evidence with my students uh, and their successes, as well as sometimes their failures. I uh, I didn't want to sound cynical when I heard you say that you used to defend against that. I was sitting here thinking, yeah, but the kind of life that I live, when I hear the naysayers or those types of things, their voices turn into the teacher from Charlie Brown for mm-hmm. me. Because I know what I'm doing and I know that you couldn't, You, I, I do believe that educators could make more for what they do because nobody would be anything without them. But I do also believe that the payoff and the reward comes from the end result with those students who call your name 10 years later. I, one of my closest and dearest friends, she's a mentor, but we go out to lunch like twice a month. She was my high school English teacher. She's has adult children and grandchildren and all of that. But I recall sitting in her class and learning so much from her in high school my voice teacher from middle school. I have three teachers that are still active in my life and I'm a very old grown woman now with my own family. And I reach to them, you know, if I need some help or don't understand something, I want to consult with them about even just a decision that I may be making with my students. And so teachers make a difference. And for the people who always have something negative or bad to say about us and what we're not doing or what we could have done. I honestly go back to, they must not have had teachers like me because I'm the kind of educator that I am because of the educators that were in my life. Plain and simple. I think so many of us can look back and credit where we are today to the teachers and the mentors we had. Um, A lot of people feel as though this last year and a half of life under COVID and the the remote learning lessons that we've learned and all of the troubleshooting and problem solving that we've had to do in our schools is going to have a lasting effect. The optimists out there believe that we may have a best of both worlds vision of education ahead of us. Do you see practices and lessons learned from this last year that you believe we should carry forward, that you're going to carry forward in your practice? And what are those? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Uh, Of course, we all know the number one uh, indicator is I'm sure snow days are going away. We don't have to leave the home now if there's inclement weather. Um, The other thing that I see going forward is there's not a reason for students to miss assignments for makeup work now because there's a way for them to access that information. It's a way for us. We've all practiced. We've basically been in a training one-on-one for uploading lessons, 
recording lessons and using uh, all types of uh, platforms to present um, information to our students for learning. I see that going forward. I see parent-teacher conferences increasing because we can reach anyone. If you don't have transportation, we can set up a video call or conference. Um, yeah, I think I think there are going to be quite a few things that have come out of the pandemic. I do also believe that it has, or I hope, I've started speaking to some of my students about it. It has helped us appreciate one another more and that we hopefully won't have as many social issues in schools that we've had with students, you know, a little bit of conflict. We're going to have it because naturally that's who we are as humans, but they've missed their friends and their peers, not being in school with them, not helping one another, not competing with one another. And I think that those things are going to help us kind of um, exercise kindness a little more. That's pretty optimistic. Ron, Ron Brown is K-8. Ronald Brown Academy is K-8. Thanks. Um, Cindy, I named this show Grit because I believe grit is important, if not essential, to success. It separates those who grind from those who don't. Uh, it's part of persistence, tenacity, determination. Um, I wonder, do you think you have grit? I do believe I have grit. Yes, I do. I do. Yes. What what tells you that you've got grit? Uh, when I came into the district five years ago, as you spoke in the beginning, I was uh, placed in a classroom with 46 sixth graders. And I was the fourth. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And I had, I was the fourth teacher for them that year because the three ahead of me were like, I'm out of here and left. They didn't, they didn't have grit. It was, <laughs> so I, by, so they were sixth graders and I was with them until the eighth grade. Uh, my students, I still call them my students. I've been working on not saying my babies, but my students, the students that were assigned to me have gone on to do well thus far. They'll be entering into their junior year. I follow many of them. They contact and reach out to me if something has happened with one of their classmates that I may need to contact the family for. Um, I have a parent I just completed a home visit with. I remember that parent not being very happy with me at the end of the tenure with her child because uh, the student just, you know, she didn't perform and didn't want to perform. And mom just kind of felt like, but you should have still given my baby this grade. But I saw that mom and we have like a great relationship. I'm working with two of her other students. And she just said how it was a learning experience for us all. But I share with that mom. It was a learning experience for me because that is how I learned about the, the right fit for a student and the right approach for a family. Because, you know, at that time, I was just kind of just straight across the board, like, da, 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 da. but um, I think that I have grit because I don't run away from the challenges or I don't complain. Like, I really, really believe in turning obstacles into opportunities. And I believe that to miss an opportunity is to miss success. So had I said, oh yeah, I'm not gonna work with these 46 kids, give me a smaller class or send me somewhere else because coming into the district as a long-term substitute, I actually had that option. 
I just turned, uh, took the lemons and made lemonade. Would you say that's your rebound strategy? If things don't go your way, turn that into an opportunity? Absolutely. You're always going to win with positivity. Yep. Wow. Thank you, Cindy, for talking with us today and for taking care of our kids. And I hope that we all really think about kids in our community as our kids. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune in next month when I talk to Vaughn Arrington, a returned citizen who's now a successful Detroit businessman, community organizer, and mentor to many. Grit. We can't seem to teach it. We know it when we see it. And there's a lot we can learn from it. And that's why we talk about it here on Grit. I'm Margaret Trimmer.